be looking in Mark chapter 2 this morning, a message I call Truth or Tradition. Truth or Tradition. Mark chapter 2, verse 14. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciple. For there were many, and they followed him. When the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. We're returning this morning, obviously, to the Gospel of Mark, remembering that this Gospel was written to people in the midst of a growing chaos who needed to know the truth about Jesus Christ or who needed to be reminded about the truth of Jesus Christ. Nothing stirs our heart like the old, old story of Jesus Christ. Nothing moves our focus in a positive, good direction like the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Uh, we've seen Dem uh, Mark show us how that Jesus demonstrated his power over demons, over sickness, and last week we saw him move into a realm of hopelessness to bring hope and into the place of helplessness to bring help. And today we'll see him dealing with one of the greatest powers of all, of all the things the world has. And that is religious tradition. Many years later, the Apostle Paul, who was raised in this very powerful religious tradition himself, who once was a part of the establishment, a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he knew this system inside and out. And he would write to the young preacher Titus about his time on the island of Crete. And he would say in Titus chapter 1 and verse 13, the testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply. <laughs> Sometimes God's people need a sharp rebuke. Rebuke them sharply, he said, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. Now, a fable refers to a story, a made-up story. Usually, it has some kind of a moral to the story, but it is always something that is invented by men. And it may be a good story. It may make a good point. But when somebody invents a story and somebody invents a point, and then along the way, that story with a point transitions. All of a sudden, it's not just a good idea or a good thought. All of a sudden, it becomes a commandment. And when man-made ideas then turn into commandments to live by, then what you have is a religious system that is man-made. And I remind you again this morning that one of the most dangerous things in all the world is a religious person 
who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Some of the greatest atrocities that have ever been committed against humanity have been committed by religious people who didn't know Jesus Christ. I remind you that it was religious people, by the way, who didn't know Jesus, who had rejected Jesus, but they weren't okay with just rejecting him. They crucified him. Had him tortured to death and they watched with sadistic glee as all of this happened, played out. Religious people who didn't have Jesus. Now our text this morning will take us through three scenes where the truth of Jesus Christ comes up against the religious tradition. Over and over again, the leaders of that tradition would challenge Jesus and criticize and some things they spoke aloud some things they heard they were speaking in their heart but Jesus heard them loud and clear we'll see that these things were primarily things of attitude it showed itself by the attitude that they had toward the things that Jesus was doing you know, Jesus would tell us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, and our attitude towards certain things is always going to be fueled by our beliefs. What we believe about them then shows up in the way that we treat them, the way that we talk about them, the way that we view these things. The attitude that we have toward it is a product of our beliefs. And so this false system, this man-made system of tradition that was being enforced as a commandment, as if it were the very commands of God, then will show itself by the attitude it has, first of all, towards sinners. And we saw that in our text. It was a story of how that Jesus was passing by the place where taxes were paid. And there was this man named Matthew, who was also called Levi, who was sitting there, and he was one of those. He was one of the tax collectors. They worked for the Roman government and they had kind of a working agreement, although it was never put in writing, but it was a working agreement uh, that Rome had a certain amount of taxes that had to be collected. Whatever that was, then they knew what it was. But then these tax collectors kind of had the liberty to look at a person and say, you know, I think this person's got a little more. Well, this guy's got some property. He's got some farmland out there. He's had a good crop this year. This is what's required by the Romans, but he could write down something else. And guess what happened to the overage? Yeah, it went in the tax collector's pockets. Very lucrative business. And, of course, they were hated, hated by the Jews because they all knew they were doing it, but there was no way they could prove it. There was nothing that they could do about it. What were they going to appeal to? The Romans? The Romans didn't care. As long as they were getting what they deserved, their cut, then they didn't care what was done to all the rest. Along with them were the people known as sinners. Now, the sinners were people who had rejected the religious status quo. 
The status quo was being read, led by the scribes. Now, the scribes were very similar to the people that we know today as lawyers. These were the people who were the experts in the law of Moses, but not just the law of Moses. They were the ones who had issued all of the edicts, all the trials that came along, all of the decisions that had been made over the years. And so it wasn't just what they had in the law of Moses, although that was extensive enough. Now there were all these other rules, and the scribes, if you were, will, were the ones who were writing the rule books. The Pharisees, the experts in the law, they were the enforcers. They were the people who were constantly watching everyone else to make sure that all of those laws were being practiced. And they would call out people then quickly for any violation that they saw of those laws. Now the sinners were the people who got tired of it all. They got tired of being told what to do, tired of being told how to live. They got called out, it seemed like, no matter what happened to them, and they just quit. They gave up. They turned away from the Jewish religion altogether. They said, we'll just live. Many of them were still professing to believe in God, but they didn't attend the synagogues. They wouldn't have let them in anyway because they were sinners that had been labeled with that. So here were the tax collectors, the hated tax collectors. There were the sinners, the people who had given up, though they were Jewish. The demands of the law as written by the scribes and enforced by the Pharisees was just too much. We see then a simple principle about this kind of religious tradition. It becomes a way to control people, to enforce a certain code of behavior. It would be easy for us as Christians to turn our attention, for example, this morning to those of the Islamic faith and see how rigidly they enforce their code of beliefs upon their people. And certainly that would be true, and it's true of many other false religions and man-made religions in the world today with a very rigid system of rules that are very, very carefully enforced. But folks, we'll have to point a finger at the Christian faith as well because there has been a time when people who call themselves Christians ruled over the world with an iron fist and they had a set of rules and beliefs and behaviors and they enforced them rigidly. The difference between Christianity and other false religion is that the people who turn Christianity into some kind of a religious uh, uh, a dominating political force do so as a perversion of the Christian faith. That's not always the case with others. But religion can be a very powerful force. It can turn into a man-made system of commandments. And so we'll think then, first of all, that, that Christianity has been, in some cases, or at least perversions of Christianity, have been almost as oppressive and controlling when enforced on a culture as the Jewish faith was. And we also need to remember that lost people, lost people in America today, listen, lost people in America today, 
generally think this is what all religion is out to do. They would lump us in with the perversions of Christianity that have existed in the past. The false religious systems that still exist today to control people, to force everyone to follow this rigid system of rules. They don't understand. That's their difference. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14 a very important principle. He says simply, the love of Christ constrains us. The love of Christ constrains us. It's often translated compels us. Or it could even be translated controls us. The love of Christ constrains us. The love of Christ compels us. The the love of Christ controls us. You see, the true Christian faith is not one of a rigid religious system with rules written by men to control people under the fear of punishment in this life and eternal punishment in the next. If you do this, you'll go to hell. If you do this, you'll go to hell. If you do this, then we're going to put you in jail. This has been... Kind of thing. That's exactly what Jesus was looking at in his day. But the true Christian faith, listen, is fueled by the love of Jesus Christ. It is our love for Jesus that compels us to live in a way that pleases him. And there is no more powerful force in all of the universe than the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ. We'll do things for love that we wouldn't do for any other reason. The love of Christ is our motivation. No wonder when we get that principle down that Jesus would warn of a day when the iniquity of people would abound, when iniquity would be abounding. And because of that, the love of many, he says, will wax cold. That's in Matthew 24 and 12, if you want to put it in your notes. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. In the first, at the end of the first century when Jesus had John to pick up his prophetic pen and write those letters to the seven churches in Asia, he started with the church at Ephesus and he commended them because of their doctrinal purity. They had tried those who were apostles and were not. They had identified those who were false teachers. They believed all the right things. They had all of their doctrinal T's crossed and their doctrinal I's dotted. They had their beliefs down. 100%. But what did he tell them? I have something against you. Literally, it could be said, I am against you. Why? Because you have left your what? Your first love. And Jesus told them, Repent or else. <laughs> Repent or else. Even though he could commend them for how sound they were in the faith. He was against them because their love had waxed cold. If the love of Christ then is the primary force behind the Christian faith, if it is our love for Christ then that that compels us, that constrains us, that controls us, if we're not a rigid system of rules to be painfully, if necessary, enforced, then what is it? It is the love of Jesus Christ. By the way, this isn't just a New Testament thing, is it? 
Remember when they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was? What did he tell them? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. And the second, he said, is likened to it, thou love thy neighbor as thyself. Love then. What did he go on to say? On this hangs all the law and the prophets. The law and the prophet makes no sense except to a people who love God. And when we love God, we long to please Him. And His commandments then are not burdensome to us. But if it is not built on a heart full of the love of God and the love of His truth, the whole system would fail. That was in the Old Testament. Jesus was looking at that failure every day. That he was here. Of a group of people who had the commandments. They had the religion. They didn't have a relationship with God. In those days people were saved by faith. And then they loved God supremely. But instead they would turned from that to this system of rules. Sinners had rejected that. They didn't want any part of it. But you notice this morning, sinners flock to Jesus Christ. <laughs> you see him walking by. There's Matthew sitting, uh, uh, collecting the taxes. What did he say to him? Follow me. And what did he do? He got up and left his table. And he followed Jesus. We saw that before with with James and John and Simon, Peter, and Andrew when they left their nets. Matthew left his table. I guarantee you Matthew's business was a lot more lucrative than Simon, Peter, and Andrew's and James and John's. But he left it just the same. And not only that, He called all his buddies, all of the other tax collectors. And and the tax collectors brought all of those people who had rejected that rigid system of the Jews. They were sinners. They'd gotten kicked out of the synagogue long ago. Who knows how long it had been since they'd gone to the temple and tried to offer an offering. Who knows? We know this. (laughs) They gathered together to listen to Jesus And twice in this text, this passage tells us many of them, not a few, but many of them followed Jesus. You see, lost people don't respond real well to to an effort made to try to force them to follow the principles of the Bible. One of the worst things that we ever did in American Christianity was to try to use the principles of the Bible or what they said was the principles of the Bible to create a political system and try to force people to live by them. They hated it. They resented it. And a lot of the resentment that we now see in Christianity is a product of it. When we begin to pray for revival for our lands, a lot of these people here, well, what they really want is to get back in charge and put all these rules in. And Sinners like to sin. They like to sin when Jesus was here too. And don't you think that Jesus preached a a gospel of indulgence? He did not. What did he say? I did not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners to what? Repentance. He preached to those people who were in the iron grip of sin. And what did he preach to them? He preached to them the same thing that I'm preaching. He preached repentance, that is to repent from their sins, to turn from their sins, and turn to God. And they did. And people still do. Why? Because sin is a cruel master. And after people have lived in it and they've seen what it does to them and they've seen what it does to their children and they see what it does to their family, they see what it costs to them personally and all in their life, the only problem is is they're in such bondage to sin, they don't know there's any way out. What did Jesus preach to them? Repentance. Listen, this Jewish crowd, religious crowd over here might not like you, but I want you to know you can be right with God. <laughs> what a great message. They may not ever be your friend, but God loves you and He'll forgive you if you'll repent of your sins and turn to Him. And they, many multitudes, multitudes followed Him. And of course, the scribes and the Pharisees hated it. Well, look at that. Publicans, uh, tax collectors, and sinners followed Jesus. (laughs) Yes, they did. So this false religious system was known then by its attitude towards sinners. Secondly, it's known by its attitude toward worship. Verse 18. The disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. They came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins, and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Second area then where their religious tradition showed itself was in the area of worship. And specifically, they would mention the subject of fasting. Uh, under the Jewish law and tradition of the, of the day, fasting was required one day a week. The scribes had expanded it to two days a week. During that day of fasting, of course, they didn't eat food. That's the most simple definition of it. But they went beyond that. They would wear sackcloth and they would take ashes and put them on their heads and on their faces because it wasn't enough for them to fast. You see, you could fast and nobody would know it. They wanted everybody to know they were fasting. That's how they were able to respond then to Jesus. Why is it that neither you nor your disciples are fasting? Well, obviously they're not fasting. They weren't wearing sackcloth. They didn't walk around with with whited faces. Jesus fasted. In fact, he fasted for 40 days once that we know of. And it's a good time to say this morning that, you know, uh, we can go a lot longer without food than most of us realize. Uh, We know today that fasting puts the human body into a process known as ketosis. Uh, That's where Fat is converted into energy. 
that high energy form of nourishment is something the brain absolutely loves, by the way, and the body likes it pretty well, too. Uh, so fasting actually doesn't make you feel bad. Now, you might have a bad day or two, but along about the third day, that process is going to kick in, and you'll actually feel very energized, and your mind will just go into overdrive. It, it, it's an amazing thing. Uh, the weight loss is a nice uh, byproduct of that, but you don't fast to lose weight. You know why? You'll gain it back when you start eating. Uh, when you fast, though, as a spiritual exercise, it unleashes spiritual power in your life. I don't know how it works. It just happens. The Spirit loves it. because We are empowered spiritually. We get great insight. Our prayer life is energized. Fasting. Notice that Jesus said this is not the time for fasting uh, because I'm still with them. I mean, they, were, they didn't have to fast to seek the Lord. <laughs> they wanted to be close to Jesus. All they had to do was scoot a little bit closer on the couch. You know what I'm saying? Jesus was there with them. But there would come a time when he would ascend back to the Father. And he said, when that happens... Then my disciples will fast. By the way, he'd say later in his Sermon on the Mount... Uh, when you pray, he said, don't pray like the Pharisees do because they just pray to be seen of men. Uh, and, and don't give. Don't give like they do. They, they're giving to be seen of men. And don't fast like they do because they fast only to be seen of men. Fasting is a very neglected spiritual discipline. There's nothing wrong with it. Everything right about it. Jesus would give them, though, two examples to, to make things clear for them about this whole issue of fasting. And that was just one part of that because that was one part of this whole big subject of their worship experience. He spoke then of taking a new piece of a garment, whether it was made of cloth or animal skin, and sewing it on an old garment. The problem was, of course, that there was no such thing as a pre-shrunk garment in those days. So if you put a, a new piece that hadn't been shrunk onto an old garment, then that, as that, uh, you sewed it in place, then as it began to shrink up and draw up, it would pull out and, and actually whatever tear it was covering up uh, would be made worse. Uh, in our day, of course, they would sell that kind of garment for more money. Amen? All right. Not sure how that ever happened, but uh, there it is. Uh, but, but we know how that, we, we can see what Jesus was saying. Uh, there's a simple solution, of course. You just uh, had to pre-shrink whatever you were doing uh, or either take something off of an old garment and put it on there, but most likely they would take that piece, whatever it was, and allow it to shrink first and then put it on there. It, it needed some treatment before it was sewn onto an old garment. He spoke also of the wineskins. In a similar way, the new wineskin... Uh, would be one actually that was made fresh. In fact, uh, the Greek word that Jesus used in this passage means to freshen. There's a different word that meant new as to time, so that it would be something completely brand new. 
And, and you know how precious these things were to them. It wasn't something they were just going to use once and throw away. In fact, we're very well familiar with the fact that wineskins could be used over and over again. But what they had to do was they'd clean them, and then they'd soak them in oil, olive oil, rub olive oil in it, and it would make that skin soft and supple again so it could stretch. If they just used it like it was, the wine would bust it. And both the wineskin then and the wine itself would be lost. It would be ruined, and both would be a tragedy. And so by freshening it, by renewing it, then it could be made usable. What was he telling them? The practices of their worship needed to be treated. They need to be renewed. Fasting was a great example. Because it was something that could have been done so that it would have been known only unto God. And in fact, when Jesus talked about it, that's exactly what he said. He said, when you fast, you don't fast like the Pharisees do. Don't put sackcloth on. Don't put the ashes on your head. You just fast and go on about your business so that nobody knows but you and God. That's what he said. There's nothing wrong with the practice. The problem was that the way they were doing it, it was all about appearances. It was all about being seen. All about being noticed. And Jesus said, this all needs to be renewed. You see, religious tradition always focuses on what we can see. That's what it's always about. The externals. Where our true Christian faith focuses what? On the inside. The heart. That's what God sees. And He sees it with perfect clarity. We think about the Pharisee who went into the temple that day that Jesus talked about, dressed to the hilt. I mean, they had a very rigid code of dress, and, and, and this still shows up in religions today. Uh, you know about the Amish, for example, and, and their very uh, particular dress code. Well, the Pharisees had a very particular dress code. And, and uh, they had blue that had to be on there, blue strip, a, a border along the bottom, and it had to be just so wide they would enlarge the borders. And so basically if you saw one Pharisee and, and you saw uh, 20 dozen of them, uh, they'd all be dressed about the same, especially when they went in to worship. So you see the Pharisee going into worship. I mean, he is dressed to the T. He has everything right. Uh, everything is, has been done. He's gone through all of the traditions that he had, all of the rituals. He's done them all. He goes by the offering and no doubt puts in a big offering. If you don't know that he did, just ask him and he'll tell you he did. Just in case you weren't around when they blew the trumpet. Bum, 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 big offering here, important person. You hear him praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. And that you, I thank, thank you, God, that I'm not a woman. They prayed that. Thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile. Yes, they prayed that. Thank you that I'm not a sinner like these other rotten people around Jesus contrasted that, of all things, with a tax collector. He bowed his head when he went in the temple. He may have given a big offering too, but nobody would acknowledge it if nobody would look, nobody would admit it. He bowed his head. He wouldn't even look to heaven. 
He bowed his head. And he prayed a simple prayer. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, Jesus said, that man went on his way justified. No doubt the tax collector would have been finely dressed too, just not in that Pharisee garb. He might have given an offering too, but it wasn't his dress and it wasn't his offering that made a difference. It was what was in his heart. God be merciful. I'm just a sinner. He was. Ask anybody. They'd tell you. I'm a sinner. But God have mercy on me. Religion was leaving the Pharisees hard and rigid like an old used wineskin. What they needed was the renewal that only the Holy Spirit could bring to them. Religious tradition then is manifested by its attitude towards sinners as they become harsh and unyielding and gave them a rigid code and tried to force them to live by it and then rejected them when they didn't. It was manifested by its attitude toward worship that made them hard and unyielding and empty. Lastly then, it's known by its attitude toward human need. Now it happened, Mark says, verse 23, that he, Jesus, went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, probably wheat. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to them, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? When he was in need and hungry? He and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, Abiathar the high priest, and ate the showbread which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now, it was a perfectly acceptable practice in Bible times for people in need, as if they were hungry and they were in need, they could glean from the field, either by plucking it, when they harvested and something fell to the ground, they were not allowed, the, the harvesters were not allowed to pick it up. They had to leave it in the field for those who were hungry and those who were in need. So it probably did not refer, the problem was not in the gleaning. Uh, the problem was that they were doing this on the Sabbath. You see, the, the simple command that God gave to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy had turned into pages and pages and pages and pages of rules and regulations and laws of all the things you couldn't do uh, on the Sabbath. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Uh, that was a no-no. He spat on the ground and made clay. By the way, you could spit on a rock, that was okay, but you spit on the ground, you were helping the uh, ground to bring forth, so they considered that to be work, and, and that, was, that was taboo, couldn't do that. Uh, and here they were picking some heads of grain. That was okay, but you couldn't do that on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus would speak famously of a person with an ox in the ditch. 
Which of you, he said, having an ox in the ditch? That means he's mired up in the, in the, in the mire. And, and, and that, that's a, 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 live, a piece of livestock, whatever you call it. That, that, that's an oxen then that is going to die pretty soon. And so if you see your oxen mired up in the mire on the Sabbath, what are you going to do? You're going to pull him out. Why? Because that life was more important than the rule of the Sabbath. Now, what Jesus then gives to these people was that the Sabbath day was made for man and not made for the Sabbath. And that there were times then when human need would take precedence over this. The overarching point that he gives about the Sabbath was that people need the Sabbath. And you need then to be conscious, even on the Sabbath day, of human need. That's why he would heal the man on the Sabbath. Not only physically, but spiritually. That's why he declares himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath, because the Sabbath was made for mankind. Humanity needed and needs a day of rest and refreshment and spiritual reflection. We need it. That's why God gave it to us. Now, we're not under the law of the Sabbath anymore. Now, we have the Lord's Day. But I'll tell you, folk, if we take the Lord's Day and make it our day, we do it to our own peril. Why? Because we need a day of rest and refreshment and of spiritual reflection. If we didn't need it, God wouldn't have given it to us. He's given it to us. But the emphasis is on human need. Remember, Jesus taught us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That is, we have spiritual needs that are every bit as real as our physical needs. We have a Lord's Day, a day that we set aside to worship God, to rest, to reflect on the things of God. If we ignore that, we miss out on all the blessings that can come to us. By setting aside that day and using it for God. But we can also do like these people did in their day and turn it all into a burden instead of a blessing. You say, well, preacher, time I go to work on Sunday, go to church on Sunday and teach a Sunday school class and come back on Sunday night. You know, it doesn't sound like a whole lot of rest in there. I'm, 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 I'm teaching, I'm working, I'm, I'm still doing. Yes, you are. But it's a different kind of thing. Some years ago, a good friend of mine, and I was about this time of the year, he called me and said, hey, preacher, I'm going down to deer camp tomorrow. That would have been on Saturday. And said, I'm going to go build a stand. Do you want to go with me? <laughs> I learned a lesson. Somebody calls you and wants you to go build a deer stand in July. Don't go. <laughs> Don't go. We worked all day long. I mean, it was a big, big job. We worked all day in the July heat. The only reason we quit is we ran out of water. And then the truck wouldn't start. <laughs> I'm not making this up. We had to walk out. I didn't get home about 2 o'clock in the morning. Had to, this was before cell phone days. We had to walk out to somebody's house and get a phone call. We walked up in the guy's yard. The guy was on the porch drunk as a skunk. This story just keeps getting worse and worse. I could go on. 
But as along the way, I brought it up for a reason. Along the way, we might ask ourselves the question, why would you go down there and working so hard? And the answer is because it's fun. It was. I'm not kidding. Have you not ever noticed how hard we'll work when we call it having fun? It's a different kind of work. What we do for the Lord on Sundays, I'll, I'll admit, it's work, it's study, it's hard work, it takes time and effort, yes. But it's a different kind of thing. And there's something about it that is rejuvenating. Something about it that helps us. And yes, we'll be tired, but that's what God made naps for on Sunday afternoon. You see, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. We're given the Lord's day because we need it. But we don't need to turn it into a, bless, a burden rather than a blessing. We don't need to turn it into our day and just ignore it because we need it. Folk, it's always been difficult for God's people, we're wrapping up now, to recognize where truth stops and tradition starts. It's possible for us to so focus on ourselves and the fellowship of God's people that we don't have a lot of room in our life for lost people anymore. We need to be careful about our attitude towards sinners. We should not be surprised when lost people don't have any interest in living by the principles of this book. And if we try to make them, all we're going to do is make them mad. What they need is the gospel. What did Jesus call them to? To repent and to believe. Guess what? They did. Not just a few. Many. Many. They hated religion and religious tradition. They loved Jesus. That should teach us something. There may be times when God calls us to do something new and different. <laughs> we need to remind ourselves it isn't the external structure that matters. What's on the inside? People may not worship the same way that we do. They might, it might not look the same. But it's what is on the inside that matters. And above all, we need to settle down, constantly remind ourselves of the truth. That it is the love of Jesus Christ that is our true motivation. The love of Christ constrains us maybe this morning you know you need to make a decision maybe today you have been looking at religion maybe somebody at home you say well I tried religion and it didn't work you know what it doesn't work for me either if you tried religion and it didn't work it's time you tried the truth the gospel because it calls you to a relationship with God who loves you, with Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sin, gives you forgiveness, promises you a new life. A new life that is lived out by the power that is within you, the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the love of Christ. Maybe today you've been struggling with a lot of unhappiness in your spiritual life. A lot of times that comes because we've substituted tradition for truth. 
It's easy. It's an easy trap. Hard to turn away from. But it can be done. Let Jesus renew you today in the power of the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand together, please.